0: Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. Just a few weeks back, we addressed the relationship of the home and family to the work of missions, particularly marriage and missions, It's such a vital topic in relation to missions for a couple of reasons. Family problems are a common hindrance to longevity and effectiveness on the foreign field, as virtually any missionary or pastor could attest to. On the other hand, a healthy family is one of the greatest assets that a missionary has on the foreign field. This is true because a biblically ordered home is a tremendous testimony to the nature and power of the gospel, and also because a family can provide the means of multiplying missionary personnel, not only through a husband and wife team, but through saved and surrendered children. Indeed, missionary kids present the potential for generational missionary engagement. The Chad Wells family is an illustration of this. I've kept up with the Wells family for as long as they have served as supported missionaries in the country of Papua New Guinea, and I think their family is as engaged in missionary work collectively As any family that I know of, Brother Wells sees the inextricable relationship between the home and missions, and he's united those realms very fruitfully over the years that he's been in New Guinea, and he's the second generation to do so. In addition to the joys of serving together as a family, I talk with Brother Chad in this interview about some of the challenges that families face in transitioning to and from the foreign mission field. The following interview was recorded while Chad and I were in a missions conference together in North Mississippi. Our subject is serving in missions as a family, and today we get the first part of a two-part interview. Brother Chad, I'm looking forward to talking with you today about serving in missions as a family. You and Kirsten have four children and all of them have been very much involved in the ministry the Lord has given you. I would have to believe that some of what I see in your family began to develop a generation earlier. So you're a second generation missionary to Papua New Guinea. So I wanted to start by talking about, uh, see if you would take us back uh, some years to your time, your initial time on the foreign mission field. How
1: old were you and your family first went to New Guinea? So I was uh, 15, and Brad would have been 19, and then my little brother, Wes, would have been 12. So take us back to your introduction to the field, and and tell me
0: a little bit about your experience. What was that like as a 15-year-old boy, for you and for your brothers?
1: What was it like moving to the mission field as a teenage boy? Well, when we first went on our survey trip, of course, we were there with uh, Brother Ted Mullins, and back there in the Wido tribe... Uh, The same tribe that I'm working with now. But it was raining (laughs) and it was muddy. And I remember just getting into the country and uh, being there with Brother Ted and, of course, my parents and my brothers. And I remember that first night sitting there together. Mom had just finished making uh, dinner for us. And Dad looked at all of us and said, Well, boys, what do you think? (laughs) And all three of us were excited because it's the jungle. Yeah. What what's not to be excited, right?
0: Pretty exotic experience. Uh, where 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 did you start from? Where was your fa- Where was your family at before you relocated to that part of the world?
1: So we were in uh, Idaho at Treasure Valley Baptist Church there in Meridian, Idaho. Yeah. From Meridian, Idaho to the jungles of New Guinea, that's a that's a bit of a change, I'm sure. Yes. Idaho being a high desert plain, uh, very different. Right. Right. So your your older brother spent a
0: number of years there in the highlands of New Guinea as a missionary, and now he's serving as a church planter in Washington, DC. Your younger brother, I know, has a deep interest in the work there and had been involved in missions himself. So how did your parents, even from your early exposure to missions as a teenager, how did your parents try to get
1: you and your brothers involved in the work in your teen years? Well, in, in our teen years it was really easy. Because way before we were ever missionaries, uh, mom and dad both exposed us to missions, and they were always uh, giving us, uh, or putting us in front of missionaries, and uh, and showing us that work, even when we were just little kids. So then when we got to the field, and uh, we started, we were in the work, uh, it was exciting to just go and do whatever dad asked us to do. It was just a, it was an exciting thing to be involved with. And you, you received a
0: particularly, um, a really interesting, <laughs> you were extended an opportunity to join the tribe or so. I love hearing this story. Why, why don't you give us maybe the
1: the short version uh, of you, uh,
0: becoming a part of the tribe?
1: Well, uh, it, it was, it was a, it was a huge honor and, uh, being a young guy, it really started because of them wanting to take me back into the bush and all that and, and wanting to go out into the jungle and and uh, to be a part of the tribe. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, John Aya uh, was the was our village leader. He's part of the Yoadane tribe. And uh, he really wanted to bring me in as one of his sons and all that. And so there are several different uh, <laughs> ceremonies and different kinds of things that, but, yeah, they, they, they brought me into that. So I don't know. I don't know if I can give that whole story. <laughs> that might be too much for public consumption. <laughs> How did your father feel about that when you were extended that invitation? Did he encourage it? Well, you know, the thing of it is, is during this, uh, this episode, we might say, <laughs> uh, he was actually just about uh, 30, 40 feet away up in the classroom, just above our house, uh, teaching Bible school and i was kind of in what i guess we'd consider kind of the front yard there when this thing happened and so it was it was a little bit of a commotion and so when he stepped out he just looked at me and he's i remember looking him looking down and just shaking his head like what is going on <laughs> well he obviously
0: you were you were obviously very much encouraged to to dig in and yep. and really get to know those people for sure to, and to interact with them. And it seems like that's something that you tried to cultivate with
1: your own family. You guys have really become a part of those people. You know, he did. Dad always encouraged us to, in fact, uh, most nights uh, after dinner, we always uh, had dinner together there at the house. But uh, after dinner, uh, I would be up in the village, which would, you know, our house was just on the edge of the village. So, you know, just walk a few minutes up into the village and uh, sit in the homes of those men and uh, listen to their stories and their cultures and, you know, all those different things and listen and you know, messing around with the kids running around in the jungle. And uh, yeah, he encouraged it. He wanted us to get to know and, and uh, to be comfortable there. So given the age that, that you were along with your brothers, um,
0: you, you were only there for a short time, I guess, in the scheme of things as far as you didn't spend your entire childhood on the mission field. So not too long after you had gone to the mission field, I guess your older brother just spent a year there, correct? And then you spent about five—did you say yep. five years—on the field, and your your younger brother got two terms on the on the mission field. So your your parents were dealing with something that is wow—it's a it's a challenge for a lot of missionary families, and that is transitioning um, children from uh, the mission field back to life in the states as adults. So, how did your parents help you to navigate that transition back to the U.S.
1: and into adulthood? You know, looking back on it, I don't, I don't, I I know that my dad probably had a plan. He didn't voice (laughs) it to me too much. Uh, I don't really remember that. I'd have to go back and really ask him what his plan was there. I think what what my dad was really depending on and relying on, as far as that transition goes, was just my relationship with the Lord. Amen. And. I don't think we knew much about how we were going to do any of that. When it came time for me to come back to the States, it was uh, Brad and I actually left uh, just ahead of the family. The rest of the family came, I think, just a couple weeks behind us. We were trying to get uh, get back so we could get into Bible school, and uh, we wanted a few weeks before classes started to kind of settle in. Uh, so I don't know that there was really a plan, but, um, I think mostly he just uh, he knew that we had a good support there at our home church and uh, there was good men there that uh, uh, that would uh, be a help to us. And then, of course, the Lord. I, I appreciate your mentioning your your home church. This is this is one of the
0: reasons that uh, missionaries need a need a home church. They need a state side sending church. It's strong a place where where they still have some roots. And it sounds like that was a pretty important element in your transition back to the state. So you went and got involved in their local church
1: Bible Institute. Absolutely. came back. Yep. Uh, I think that's, that's very, very important. Uh, within a few days of me getting back, uh, I remember three men in particular that all came up to me uh, that first Sunday I was back. Of course, my parents weren't back yet. And uh, they came up, gave me a big hug, and said, Chad, you know, uh, we're here for you. Amen. We know, uh, you know, your dad's not back yet. And... Uh, you know, I was 21, so you know it's not like I was a little kid. But they're they were right there and said, "Hey, you know, whatever you need, we're here. We're here." And of course, Pastor DeMichael was the same way. Amen. So even though even though your dad was sort of uh,
0: he was navigating some some uncharted waters there, and I guess a lot of missionaries. I mean, I don't know that there's a I don't know that there's a uh, master plan out there for how to how to sort through those transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have you're navigating this now as a father and i do want to i want to get to that a little bit later in the conversation but i'm wondering we we talk in, in missions about about sometimes we refer to missionary kids as as uh, third culture kids mm-hmm. they have their they have their the culture that they of their sending uh, country and then they have the culture that they are part of there on the foreign mission field and in some ways they're not entirely part of either thus the third culture element of course new guinea is a very remote place it's not it's not easy to get back to the Mm -hmm. states do you think it's important has it been important to you over the years to take some furloughs to have your
1: kids um, exposed to american life Uh, yes yeah um that is an important thing um i I am a little conflicted in that sure um I, i you know, in, in the beginning, uh, when we first went to New Guinea, of course, our kids were really young and, uh, you know, with schooling and uh, with, their, with their schooling, we really wanted to keep them connected uh, so that they could learn uh, proper English, you know, and, and just uh, general manners and those kind of things. And so um, when we first got there for the first uh, several years, uh, we kind of had the rule of, Uh, you know, we're going to speak English in the house, and uh, we're going to eat properly. (laughs) You know, we're not going to adopt, you know, the cultural aspects of of where we're serving, you know, in the house. And I think that was important in those beginning years. And then as the kids got older, uh, well, you know, Pigeon, of course, and Talk Place are all over the house, and we use it interchangeably all the time. And and it's uh, not as, as strict. But the, when they were younger, I believe it was very important so they could uh, understand, uh, you know, where they come from. Sure. So eventually, of course, uh, your
0: brother ended up uh, heeding the call to to go to New Guinea on mm-hmm. his own as a missionary. Yep. And then in time, I guess you were sort of in the co- corporate world. You had a professional mm-hmm. career mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and responded to the call to missions. I'm curious about... And that was some years later, as I understand. I'm curious about how your um, how did that early exposure as a teenage boy to the mission field how did that
1: play into the Lord dealing with your heart about foreign missions? Well, uh, again, I've got to go all the way back to when we were kids. Sure. Uh, when when just as as early as I can remember, uh, mom reading us those missionary stories, sure. and uh, you know Wednesday night. Uh, the missionary, if there was going to be a missionary at Treasure Valley, uh, they were probably at our house for dinner, uh, that Wednesday night. And if they were there Sunday, they we probably had them over Sunday night or, or in between services. And so we were always exposed to them and they were always there. And so, uh, I just believe that, that, uh, serving God was just the best thing that you could do. Amen. And so I. Even as a little kid, I loved airplanes and all that. And I thought, well, I love airplanes, but how am I going to use you know, airplanes? How is this F-16 going to work into missions? And, you know, those kinds of things. And, and everything was was measured by that growing up. So then when we got to New Guinea and uh, Dad began uh, teaching and preaching and, and, and walking out to these churches and all that, uh, you know, he just put us right to work. Uh, we were building and running the sawmill and building water cages and carrying wood and, you know, all those things. And uh, it, it was just, uh, it was exciting to be a part of the work. So uh, when I was 19, uh, we had a, a big um, kind of a revival sort of meeting. Uh, several missionaries were all there. And uh, in fact, uh, Brother John Gray was preaching uh, just a salvation message on Sunday morning, and uh, man, the Lord just smote my heart about uh, about presenting the gospel, and it was kind of funny because about halfway through that message, I was feeling so convicted. I was like, God, I'm already saved. I don't need to be convicted over this message, uh, but it was the Lord just, uh, just uh, giving me the opportunity to surrender to that, and uh, so that's really when that started at 19. Uh, I surrendered and said, God, I'm and I'm happy to do this work if you'd let me. And uh, that uh, that evening, uh, or th- really it was the next day, uh, we had walked back to, to our house. And uh, I told Dad, I said, Dad, I, I believe God would have me to to be a missionary here in New Guinea. And he says, son, that is great. Uh, tomorrow you'll be preaching in <laughs> a, a village called Toya. I need <laughs> you to walk to Toya and preach. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of how that started. So. Got my message together, and I walked about three and a half hours to Toya and preached the gospel. Amen. So, so it was uh, not not necessarily.
0: I. It sounds like your dad. It's not. It's not as if he put any kind of pressure on you to, to um to to for mission service. You were just. It was an immersive experience. You were around
1: missions as long as you can remember. Sounds like that's exactly right. I think. Uh, uh, yeah, it was no pressure. He just brainwashed us. <laughs> <own man. laughs> So walk
0: us through, you come back to the States, you get involved in your Low Church Bible Institute. Somewhere along the, the lines, you you uh, married, you start a family, you you are in the corporate corporate world, and then how did how
1: did the Lord deal with your heart, give you the green light, to go back to New Guinea? Well, since I already I already knew that I was coming back to New Guinea. Um, you know, and so when I came back to Idaho, um you Know, I, I knew that uh, I needed some help, so I needed a wife, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, that was one of those things that uh, dad really coached us on early was about, uh, you know, make sure you get a good wife, uh, because if you don't, uh, if you don't marry right, then you'll never be able to serve right. And so, um, I got back, and within a couple weeks, um, you know, my wife Kirsten, she was, uh, you know, there in the youth group at our church, and and all of that, so. Uh, we were kind of palling around together there at church and uh, one of, I think it was a Sunday night uh, we were together and I said okay listen Kirsten if uh, if you're not ready to go to New Guinea you know because I'm gonna be a missionary there so if you're not ready to do that and go with me then and leave me alone <laughs> and so and I just say that because and of course she was she she already knew that she was on board and uh, so that's kind of how that relationship started but uh, I'd really tried my best to all those kinds of decisions uh, were all pointed toward that direction. And so even, uh, you know, when I would get, uh, even wherever I worked, it was, uh, to me, it was not really a career. It was a, a stopping off point or, a you know, something I was doing until uh, it was time to go back to New Guinea. So
0: when did that happen? How, so you were 15 when you went, mm-hmm. 19 when you came home?
1: right. And then, how old were you when you returned to the mission field? Uh, I believe I was 34 uh, when we actually went back. So
0: I'm wondering, did you still have some relationships there that you returned to from
1: your years as a as a teen boy? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> there was definitely uh, there was a whole village full of relationships. There was really a whole tribe of relationships. Wow. So the night that I left Papua New Guinea. Um, Uh, I guess the night before I left, uh, there was probably about 10 or 12 of us young guys that had been piling around for four plus years and, uh, preaching together, some of those guys translated for me. Some of them were in dad's Bible school. Uh, some of them were younger. Some I led to the Lord and, uh, we're uh, sat on the porch of my dad's house there playing guitar and singing songs. And, And we made a commitment. Uh, there was actually eight of us that kind of went into a pack together and said, uh, uh, we're serving God or, or nothing. We're just going to serve God. And uh, so when I got back, uh, five five of those eight guys were all pastors. Amen. And uh, two more are pastors now, and uh, they're all serving God. And so when I got back, I just kind of jumped right in uh, That's like great. I never left. Amen.
0: Amen. So once you surrendered to go, you, you you still had to raise your support. How old were, if you can if you can go back in your mind about what were the ages
1: of your children approximately when you started deputation? So that that's a little bit different than normal for us because what what we did is um, uh, when when God finally gave me the green light and um, and I left uh, I left my my work there. Uh, I had a little bit of money in the bank. And so what we decided to do was uh, I wanted to take my family uh, to New Guinea. Uh, I really felt that uh, it, would, uh, it would help us on deputation. Yes. And I figured it would help uh, them be uh, solidified in their own mind uh, what this task would entail. And so uh, I didn't really figure two weeks was worth a whole lot. Uh, you know, you can't really get to know anything in two weeks. And so what I figured we'd do, and and my dad really supported it, and he actually uh, uh, helped foot the bill as well, Uh, but we just came over, and uh, we didn't have any support. Our home church supported us uh, for a little bit, and uh, so we came, and just our survey trip was 15 months. That's great. And so uh, we just went until the money ran out, and then when we had no more money, we figured, well, we better go back and raise some more, so... So we, did, we, left, uh, we left the States in 2008, and we were there for 15 months before we came back to then start deputation. So this is a, that's a,
0: unfortunately, I think that's sort of a, a novel approach to mm-hmm. getting acquainted with a foreign field. But it, it seems like there's some real wisdom in getting a protract, some protracted exposure as a family. How do you think uh how do you think a protracted survey, if you would, I mean fifteen mm-hmm. months is is almost more than a survey, but how how did that contribute? Number one, I mean that that would have put you at an advantage in terms of fundraising, mm-hmm. I would think, because you've demonstrated you make it a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's worth that's worth something because yeah. there are some guys that go and don't make it the first year. Right. And so you know what you're getting into and it seems like there would have been some real advantages to um, you're, you're nearly acclimated in 15 months you can, mm-hmm. you can get right back and,
1: and get down to work so how did that contribute to your transition greatly it really tra- it, it was it was amazing because um, it gave us as a family confidence that we can do this amen and uh, that's something that dad always taught us was that we, we need to be a family and uh, we're in it together uh, you know dad used us uh, us boys as you know we, we were uh, we weren't his kids. We were his fellow laborers. And so that's something that I tried to really adopt and put into our family as well. And, and so being there for 15 months, even though, you know, my kids would have been, uh, Connor would have been five years old, you know, the little guy. Right. Uh, and uh, Derek was seven. Uh, Trevor would have been nine. And then Amber was 11. And so uh, they understood what we were going back to. And then, of course, now my wife, who hadn't been there, but grew up hearing stories about it. And so now she's comfortable. She knows what, what to expect. So then when we come back for deputation, uh, you know, the pastors always ask, you know, well, have you been there? Do you think you can make it? And, sure. you know, what are you going to do about the language? Well, we already all knew the language. Uh, you know, like you said, we had already been there more than a year, so uh, we, we can do it. And we did it on our own dime, not the church's dime. And the churches were happy for that. Uh, You know, they didn't have to pay for the trial period. And so uh, it it made things really easy. Uh, The kids there at the table, they would uh, stand there at the table, and uh, I could just sit back and let them answer the questions. Amen. And so it it worked really, really well. So you've touched on something
0: there about your just, Gen, your general philosophy about family and ministry, and that's really why I want to have this particular conversation with you about serving in missions as a family. You've always struck me as really enjoying ministry, mm. and and your family seems to enjoy serving the Lord. It's not a drag. It's not. It's not. It's not an awful burden to bear. So, uh, like. Um, just deputation, for instance. How mm-hmm. did you tackle that, and how did you try to make the most
1: of it as a family? Well, one of the decisions that we made right out of the beginning was uh, we're going to be together. Um, again, part of the philosophy that I believe uh, really helps the churches, and then it, and then because it helps the churches and gives the churches confidence in us as a missionary, is uh, for them to see the family. And if the family is in order, then it's easy for the pastor to say, okay, well, at least from what we can see in this little glimpse, the family looks to be in order. And so that really helps. So uh, I wanted to travel with my family. I wanted to to be uh, together, for one, because uh, I have a biblical mandate to take care of my family. And if I'm running around the country, uh, that means somebody else is taking care of my family. And so we made the decision that the family would stick together, and so you know we got the old uh, class C motorhome and <laughs> and piled in. Uh, in fact, when we got back, when we got back to New from New Guinea, uh, we landed and uh, one of uh, one of my friends there at the airport met us and uh, you know he uh, gave the old handshake with a hundred dollar bill in it, and uh, that's all the money I had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had uh, finished out the savings and all that there in New Guinea, and so. I remember uh, we got into the, the vehicle there uh, as a family, and I told the family, I said, and so it begins. <laughs> and uh, the Lord has provided and blessed uh, ever since. So I don't know how, uh, man, it's just exciting to see how he's going to do, you know, what he's going to do next. Yeah, and I guess your kids have, have been able to
0: witness the Lord's provision, and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's I. I
1: seems that that would be a great opportunity for them to build their faith, too. Well, I think that's, you know, that's maybe a mistake that sometimes we make is uh, we want to shelter the kids, uh, you know, from some of those hardships, uh, the hardships of the ministry. And I think that's that's a problem because we really can't shelter them from the hardships of the ministry. Uh, All you can really do is pretend like they're not there, (laughs) which means they just have to bear them in silence. Right and then uh and then they don't really get to see the great miracle amen. and so if you just let them see it and they're gonna be able to cry, and then they'll get a rejoice too amen, sure. what are some uh what what advice might you give to uh
0: to a young missionary family that's uh to parents anyway that are raising that are raising children at least for a season on the deputation trail any 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 thoughts on
1: tips on how to make the most of that time mm my my first recommendation is is deputation is uh i often call it the gravy train <laughs> <laughs> uh deputation is is really uh the easy part of the ministry it's uh now deputation's a little bit harder than than furlough, but deputation is the easy thing uh you know we we come to churches and for the most part we're just treated wonderfully um you know and so People that uh, tell me how hard deputation is, I, I just question what's going to happen later. <laughs> uh, and I know there's growth, and I, you know, I understand that. But, um, but uh, deputation should be a joy. Uh, it's not vacation, but it should be a joy. And I think if mom and dad can really enjoy it and decide to enjoy it, just like a lot of things, we just decide that this is what it's going to be. Then the kids can see that and they'll decide to enjoy it, too. Well, you're having the right attitude about anything is Mm -hmm. a big
0: part of making the most of it. Absolutely. And uh, it is it is up to mom and dad to set the tone with. um, Yeah, it's it's uh, how how I guess as parents and this is true in just about any endeavor that we undertake as parents as a family. um, It's going to be what you make it. And if you have a good attitude about it, then the kids—it's going to be a whole lot easier for them to have a good attitude about right. it. And if you have the mentality that this is, hey, this is this is fun—we get to do something for the Lord, we get to re- be around God's people, we get to hear all this great preaching. Um, yeah, that's a that's a whole. It sure beats, uh, you know, just trudging through it
1: like it's a like it's a miserable chore before right. you get to get to go and do the well, other part. And if you look at that, you know, we get a. You know, we got to travel this whole country, and uh, well, this is a beautiful country.
0: Oh, absolutely!
1: And you know, on deputation, it's not like there's uh, any kind of great abundance of cash flow. <laughs> uh, I think for any any missionary just starting out, and so uh, you know, it's not like you can go to all these cool places. But there's all kinds of free places that you can right. go. Right? Uh, you, there's uh, man. There's just national parks and the Grand Canyon and. And so we made it a point really on deputation to go to as many of those as we can. Uh, we were driving through the Southwest and I think we, we had a few hours or we had like a day. And so we drove way out of our way up to the grand Canyon. I think we were just there for maybe six hours. And then we had to, you know, get back on the road to, to get our Wednesday night service or whatever. Uh, but we made that effort. And so uh, I think that really made a difference for the kids too. Yeah, it's it's probably unfortunate, Brother Chad, that there's so
0: much emphasis at times on what families are having to give up to serve God. Mm-hmm. And, and the truth be told is we we're getting a whole lot more than yes. we're having to give give up to I believe serve the Lord to be true. Jesus Christ, <laughs> right? And so you've tried to keep this you've tried to keep this mentality over the years, um, even even beyond deputation. You know you're. Your children haven't had an opportunity to play little league. You, your kids haven't had an opportunity on a, a lot of years to to go to youth camp with the rest of the church kids and those kind of things. But you have had you've you've orchestrated some opportunities for them that they would never have had if they had been your typical uh, you know church kids teenagers. Right. So uh, what are some other ways that you've that you've tried to make
1: this journey enjoyable for you? for your children well that's uh you know on the field of course we have youth camps uh and so they've, they've been a part of it, uh, uh they've always been leaders in it right right <laughs> uh even when they were younger even though they were still kids and part of it they still took a real leadership role uh and so that's a lot different obviously than just being a kid at camp uh, and i've always put a lot of responsibility on them that way so that was definitely very different but um you know, going and coming back, uh, being on the field now for uh, 13 years or so, uh, we've gone back and forth a couple times, and you know, you're flying around the world. Sure. And so, uh, you know, if you can uh, uh, work those plane tickets, uh, you can you can find cheap tickets to certain places and uh, make a stop off and and uh, and see some beautiful places. Sure. Uh, for very little money, if right. any. Uh i know we've we've done three three or four different places, and I know one in particular we saved money by staying there for ten days <laughs> sure and so uh the kids have been able to see some great places that way and yeah. uh, that uh, other kids just would never get the chance to do sure so you just you just mentioned um
0: for instance, there on the field when you've hosted events children's events v b s camp other kinds of things. Um, that your kids were heavily involved. They were involved in leadership. They've been your children have been teaching other children. I mean, the entire time virtually that you have been on the mission field and your family is probably as engaged in the ministry. Your kids over the years have been engaged in the ministry as much as any other family, any other group of kids that I know personally. And I realize that every field is different and uh, just like every family is different, but it seems evident that your family, that including your family in the work has been a priority for you. And I'd love for you to uh, to share um, uh, some more about that with our listeners. But how did you go, go about getting your kids involved um, when you're on the mission field? I guess your your four children were in the range of like 7 to 13, 8 to 14, something mm-hmm. like that when you got to the mission field. Right. So how
1: did you keep them involved in in ministry well uh, again it just goes back to that attitude right uh if mom and dad are loving what they do it's going to be natural that those kids are going to want to be involved uh but if uh whatever if if the ministry is drudgery and it's full of hardship and heartache and and broken hearts and all which it is but it's still an attitude though sure uh it's a privilege that god's given us to do to minister to these people and yes it there is hard times and all that and trials and struggles, but uh, I guess, I guess the end of the story is we win. So what's the problem? Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, we serve a risen savior. And so uh, trying to keep a a positive attitude and keeping a, uh, just a a good attitude towards the ministry. uh, The kids just naturally wanted, they've, they've just wanted to get in. And so, you know, Dad, what can I do? Well, you can go serve coffee, or you can make this cake, or, uh, you know, uh, go carry those boxes. And the more that they would do that, okay, I remember uh, we were trying to make some booklets for uh, teaching a class. I was teaching a class in a, in a public school, and the, the school said, well, you've got to have a curriculum, and we want to see tests and papers and all that. And so we printed all these booklets, uh, we had, uh, I think, 1,200 booklets we had to make, and well, you know, a seven-year-old can fold a piece of paper in half. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so there's no reason that, uh, you know, that I have to do that. And so uh, we sat around the table there, and uh, they, some, some of them folded, and some of them used that long-reach stapler and stapled, and uh, we just got the work done. And then because they're they're right there in the midst of it, then they get to see me go teach that class, and then they see me bring kids to church on Sunday that were part of that class. And and then they see kids in the youth group that got saved because they were part of that class because they folded the books. Amen. And and it doesn't take much to be able to say, wow, me folding this paper in half had a part of that. Yeah, yeah. And so you can directly see, well, you know, a seven-year-old can see, wow, doing this had an eternal effect. Amen. And uh, you know, uh, uh, might not be that much of a thought process for a seven-year-old, but nonetheless, they can still see that God's working. Sure. So, of course, there are some there are some things
0: that, um, you know, some elements of Christian service that virtually anybody can get involved in. Folding, folding, you know, booklets would mm-hmm. be one such thing. And then there are uh, there are other there are other pursuits that uh, require certain skill sets, maybe certain sorts of gifts. And uh, i I observed this being around your family, even when you were raising your sport the 13 years ago, ever how long ago it was, is like all of us. Your children, those four kids, represent a variety of different personalities, a variety right. of different interests, a variety of different strengths. So I remember, I remember, uh, you know, as so, soon as soon as our families met. Derek is you know he's with he's with my boys and they're off in the woods they're playing right Trevor's Trevor's found a book he's found a <laughs> book and he's 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 hiding somewhere right reading about not hiding but he's he's reading a book he's right. he's a he's a reader yep so um i am i wanted to i kind of wanted to to ask you about um how you could how you saw the strengths and the and the skills and the the abilities mm-hmm. the the varying abilities of your children and then over the years as the their capacities grow as the needs of the ministry expand how you sought to plug them in where their where their strengths were at and how you and because it appears to me that you have really made the most out of out of the out of the god-given gifts that mm-hmm. uh, that your children have over the years to maximize your
1: family's usefulness to the Lord in New Guinea. Right. It's a mentality. It really is a mentality. And and I've always wanted uh, my children to be able to do anything. Um, and so you can do anything. Now, there are certain things that you can do better than you can do other things. Uh, but I always wanted us to be willing to do anything. Because you never know what God might select you to do. Uh, and... and there's lots of things, there's been lots of things in New Guinea that God has uh, put in our ministry that, that I was not good at, or that I didn't want to do, or I wasn't comfortable doing, or any of those things. Uh, but it was very clear that God wanted those things done. And so we've always tried to uh, figure out who could do that the best. And, uh, and usually it would be uh, me in the beginning, but then uh, because we've always worked so closely together. Uh, there's always somebody that that gravitates towards whatever project we're working on and just does it better. And so since we're all learning together, some of us pick some things up faster than other things. You know, like Amber, she, uh, uh, when uh, my mom and dad were still on the field there with the school, I believe at, uh, I think at 13, she started going and, and helping uh, grandma teach, uh, you know, those little kids and teaching them Bible verses in the beginning and all that. And she just loved doing that. Uh, And so we made space for that. You know, she's 13. She's still in school. I mean, she needs to be doing her own schoolwork. Uh, But we just decided that that was, uh, you know, developing that was more important than some textbook development. Now, we've still got to finish the textbook, but this other thing is an opportunity. So let's take advantage of that. And so giving them space to learn and to grow into that. And, uh, you know, a 13-year-old can't teach school as good as, you know, an adult could, but they can certainly begin to. And so now at at 24, and Amber is a tremendous teacher uh, that has a lot of years of experience, and she still graduated, you know, all of our schooling, too. Uh, So we've always tried to just plug people in, and uh, because we're all working together, it's really kind of easy to to figure those things out, you know, when we we're rebuilding the engine on, on one of the trucks, uh, Trevor is incredibly detail-oriented, and he's going to read the book. And so we're getting ready to rebuild this motor. So I downloaded a PDF of the uh, the rebuild manual and all that, and so he read it twice. <laughs> I would never read that twice. I wouldn't even <laughs> read it once. <laughs> And right. so when we're out there putting this thing together, he's like, "Okay, Dad, that's the next. The next step is here. All right, give me. All right, let's put this together." And uh, I remember I we had no cell phone service, and I needed to look up a torque spec, and um, you know, kind of just talking out loud. And man, if I, I wish I knew this torque spec. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, for one of the head bolts or something, and and Trevor's like, "Dad, it's uh, it's 160," and I was like. How do you remember <laughs> that? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, as God developed their gifts, uh, it, it just, it's really clear because you work so closely with them on a daily basis. Uh, it's easy. And, you know, when we started the radio station last year, uh, uh, Trevor and I worked on the, uh, you know, on the technical side and trying to get the software set up and, you know, trying to figure all that stuff up. Uh, but Derek was the natural to be the announcer. Sure. And so... Uh, I kind of taught Trevor and, and, and Trevor, I, I just taught Trevor some really basics more. I just pointed him at the program and he learned it and then kind of set it up and then taught Derek what he needed to know. And we put the microphone in front of him and, and he just goes after it. So I think it, it's, not, it's not as complicated if you're already all working together. It's just natural. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty organic. It's just
0: a family serving the Lord together, doing what has to be done, Mm -hmm. and um, different different strengths materialize in there, and Mm -hmm. and the division of labor just as you go along.
1: And sometimes we end up doing things that we're not as good at. Sure. (laughs) And, uh, you know, God develops us, and we try to get better at it.
0: That's where we'll stop for today in my conversation with missionary Chad Wells about serving in missions as a family. Chad didn't offer us any hidden secrets, quick fixes, or shortcuts to having a joyful and fruitful family life while engaged in foreign missions. What he emphasized in this conversation was a mentality about family life and missions. While every field and every family is different, the mentality that Chad described in the course of this conversation, a mentality by the way that his parents helped to cultivate a generation earlier, this should be instructive for all of us who are raising a family no matter what our role in missions may be. In the second part of this interview, we'll see how this mentality has informed Chad's dealings with his own children's ongoing transition to adulthood, and he warns us of some of the pitfalls associated with that transition. I hope you'll tune in next time for the balance of this conversation with missionary Chad Wells. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts, and if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond and to include our family while we do so.